good night. Hello, cocktail lovers. Welcome to Paris Cocktail Talk, the show brought to you by the 52 Martinis Guide to Paris Cocktail Bars. I'm Force Collins, and I'm here to talk to you about the trends and traditions of drinking in France. And I'm really very excited about this month's episode because it's a subject that I find personally very interesting. We're going to be talking about French vermouth. And of course, I'm interested in vermouth because I love martinis, and that's a really integral ingredient. And vermouth has had a really uh, important effect on cocktails in general. You know, when um, vermouth was introduced to the U.S., it really kind of changed the direction that cocktails were going in. So, so I'm really consider myself lucky because I've got an expert on the show today to to talk a little bit more about this. It's um, François Monti, who is a Madrid-based Belgian drinker, but he also writes. He is the author of three books, including El Grand Libro del Vermouth, um, which I'm guessing is Spanish for the Big Book of Vermouth, and he's he's an authority on aperitivo culture and amer- aromatized wine. His writing has been in many publications. In 2019, he was one of the 100 most influential people in the bar world. And he's also the world's 50 best bars academy chair for Spain and Portugal. So welcome to the show, Francois. How are you doing? I'm I'm doing fine. I was listening to my view. I thought, wow, this sounds more impressive than my life actually <laughs> is. But, you know, not very happy to be with you guys. Not true. Not true. It's... um. Yeah, I, I think that it's very impressive, uh, your your knowledge on this subject. So um, like I said, we're just going to have a little chat today and we're going to kind of start with um, maybe just the basics. I know that people listening to my show, they're familiar with vermouth, but even though kind of, you know the name, you might not really understand what it is. So can you just basically tell people first, what is vermouth? Yeah, um, at the simplest level, it's an aromatized wine. So a wine in which you, you know, you put the flavor with uh, botanicals. It also is usually fortified, so you had some uh, boost to it, some neutral uh, spirit to make it a bit stronger than regular wine, and it tends to be sweetened. Uh, and uh, it, the names, the name vermouth, comes from the German word for absinthe, uh, wormwood, which is. Uh, traditionally, the uh, uh, main uh, botanical, although uh, main botanical, it's 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 a bit of you know it's a loaded expression. It's a bit like when you talk about gin and they're telling telling you about gin and juniper, and and uh, you want people to define exactly what what they mean by uh, dominant juniper flavor, right? Because all those products have a lot of botanicals. Uh, it, it's sometimes difficult to find the wormwood in your vermouth, but it's always there. Um, okay, great. Now, I, th- you know, I think basically when we talk about vermouth, uh, we've got vermouth that comes from France, from Spain, from Italy. You know, I'm sure vermouths are made elsewhere, but tra- traditionally, those are the three countries that mm-hmm. I think of when I think of it. So, I don't know. Is there any kind of grand? Um, uh, I guess differences that you could talk about between between those three locations and their vermouths before we kind of de- take a deeper dive into French vermouth. Yeah, I mean, yeah, of course. So now we have uh, we have vermouth made basically uh, everywhere in the world. You've got German, uh, English, and uh, American and Austrian vermouth, but indeed, um, historically at least, you know, everything started in Italy and France, and then and then Spain came by uh, quite a bit later. Um, if we're looking at the 19th century, when when the vermouth industry, as such, really was born, 
um, people divided vermouth between Italian vermouth and French vermouth, and I think that's the most important distinction you want to make uh, today. And that, so traditionally, uh, Italian vermouth is bittersweet, um, and uh, today, at least today, it's red in, in color. That's, that's the style that the Italians invented. The French, on the other hand, invented uh, non-colored, uh, so more of a golden amber uh, sort of vermouth that was dry. Uh, by dry, we don't mean dry as in the wine world. So it doesn't mean there is no sugar, but there's much less sugar. So Italian vermouth would have maybe 150, 180 grams of sugar per liter, while the French dry vermouth would be below 50 grams of sugar per liter. Now, um, there, there is third style, which is which was born in Chambéry. Uh, today, Chambéry is in France, near the Alps. Historically, it wasn't when it was invented. Uh, it's a, a complex European story. I'm not sure we should dive into it. <laughs> and <laughs> that third style is, is sweet, much like the Italian one, but it is not bitter. It's more uh, floral, uh, vanilla forward etc and fruity um, and today most brands produce the three styles so there is no such distinction you know we don't make a distinction between Italian French uh, etc uh, but but you know uh, at least it's tricky that what it, that's what it was bittersweet for the Italians and dry for the French and then you had Chambéry right in the middle very good and I think that's something this um, French and Italian divide is something that I see when I look at a lot of old cocktail recipes and old cocktail books when they refer mm. to either French or Italian vermouth, but what they're really saying is maybe a sweeter or a drier vermouth is what we would think of these days since they are not strictly one or the other in, in each place. So Yeah, exactly. If, you, if you're looking at any cocktail book from before the, the World War II, if they say Italian vermouth, then you have to go for one of red, uh, bittersweet uh, vermouth. And if they say French vermouth, they mean dry, right? Because uh, the Chambéry style, what we know uh, now know as uh, Bianco or Blanc vermouth, uh, was you know barely ever used in cocktails, so it would be dry or bittersweet, dry or red. Okay, now now let's talk a little bit more about French vermouth. So, can you give the readers a little bit of an idea of maybe when vermouth production began in France and the location where it began? So the first brand. Uh, is still with us today because it's uh, Noi Prat, uh, Noi Prat, or however you want to pronounce it. Uh, <laughs> they they invented so Louis Noyi. Uh, the name of the founder of the company was Louis Noyi. Uh, was based in Lyon, uh, and uh, in the early nineteenth century, the, the official date is eighteen thirteen. Um, he developed a new style of vermouth, and that's maybe not the fr first French producer, but that is at least the first French producer on record. Um, and and he was also the inventor of the style which is discussed, uh, the, the dry style of, of, of vermouth that became the mainstream style for French producers. But not the mainstream style for French consumers, which is something we might want to talk about. I later. do want to talk about that because I, I find that also very interesting, but I, I will hold off and not get ahead of myself. So, okay. so, um, so Noile Pratt, uh, it's still produced today. Um, I think when it's produced, it's, it's left in the barrels outside for a long time. Is that correct? It's, it's kind of weathered it's, as it's produced, um, or am I mistaken? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's a completely unique process. 
it's it's very interesting because now everyone has got a, a dry side removed in their portfolio, but no one uh, does it the way Anoy Pratt do it. So the 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 myth or legend or official story behind it was that because the vermouth was historically produced in Lyon, but it had to be shipped to to customers uh, abroad. It was sent down the river, down the Rhone, until Marseille, and uh, during the traveling, while well, the, the 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 vermouth aged, and it it it. it it took another, a different style of, you know, of taste or, or profile, but consumers liked it. So uh, they, they decided to repro reproduce that sort of flavor profile. And um, after Lyon, they moved production down to Marseille, the big poor city in the south. And now they're in Marseillan, which you shouldn't confound, mistake for Marseille. Marseillan is a very small uh, village near Sète, so uh, a bit more towards the... Uh, towards the west and so indeed if you visit Marseillan which I actually recommend it's one of the nicest uh, day out for a, for a vermouth spirit or wine lover uh, that you can get in the south of France um, they have a huge patio where, where uh, their their base wine rests for a year it's the barrels are very old barrels so they don't give off barrel flavors but because they're outside they get all the winds from the from the sea it's very close to the sea all the salty air, they also get the sun, they, they also get the rain. So basically what they're doing is that they're sort of uh, turning their base, the base wine into a Madeira, you know, the, the, the mm -hmm. Portuguese. <laughs> yeah, the Portuguese fortified wine. Yeah. And, and, and then they mix those base wine with mistels. So it's, it's mixed between that sort of mistreated wine uh, and fresh mistel. That's, that, that's what makes the backbone of, of Noé Prats. Um, one other thing I want to, to just kind of mention about Noali Pratt, obviously this isn't a show devoted to that brand, but something I always kind of found interesting was um, how it was adjusted uh, previously. You know, I have a lot of listeners, I'm, I'm American and I have a lot of listeners in the U.S. Mm -hmm. and how they put out um, a different expression that was slightly different for the U.S. market versus the, the French market. Mm -hmm. So I think it's it's kind of interesting how these things have been tweaked for different, different palettes culturally, but... Um, uh, yeah, it's always it's always been it's so if you can say you know it's it's always been the case for all aromatized wines where uh, you want to sell on an other market and there is always a smart ass exporter who's telling you that he knows stuff better than you do you know I'm, <laughs> I'm the ex you're the producer but I'm the exporter so I know my market I know how are we gonna sell it exactly. and so that's that's how. You know, among other, uh, a lot of it happened to a lot of brands, but that's how uh, the export uh, dry uh, is not the, uh, for the U.S. was not the, the same as the original dry that they have in France. Although uh, I'm hearing now that the the original dry formula is much more widely available in the states than it used to be. So you know, if you can go for it, yeah, that's my understanding as well too. Um... Now, I do want to kind of talk about this export and how things are consumed. I find it really interesting that it is sometimes easier for my friends in the U.S. to get certain French vermouths, French products in general, certain ones. Mm -hmm. um, like, for example, they always have Dolan in their bar. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I, it's, not, it's not available in every shop here. You know, I kind of have to search it out. So let's talk a little bit about... Um, how I guess vermouth is is consumed, how well how vermouth is consumed in Europe, in France, um, 
you know, as you touched on earlier, maybe Nuali Pratt is not as widely consumed here. I see it everywhere, but I never see anybody drinking it. What What are your feelings on that? Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, the first thing we have to say, especially if you have a lot of listeners in the U.S., is that uh, yeah, uh, there is this idea that, that vermouth is a cocktail product, and indeed, indeed it is, but in, 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 in important parts of Europe, especially in the south of Europe, it's still drunk as it was always drunk, which is on its own or, or with a bit of, of seltzer water. Uh, so that would be the traditional way of drinking it. Um, uh, although less and less people do it, uh, in Spain, for example, that's still the, the, the way most, most like probably 95% of, of vermouth drunk in Spain, and Spain is one of the biggest market in the world for vermouth, is drunk straight, not in cocktails. Uh, so that's one big difference. And that's something that I, I think a lot of uh, people are, are, have trouble with. They, they, they don't actually know what vermouth tastes like on its own. And, and I would encourage anyone who hasn't had a taste of vermouth straight to, to have it because it's nice, it's complex, got a lot of different flavors and it's low in alcohol. So it's it's quite good for, uh, you, know, you know, fitting into uh, current trends. Um, as for the French style of vermouth, the irony of, if again, we're talking French style of vermouth, we're talking dry vermouth. We, we can talk about Chambéry after that. Chambéry is uh, so Dolan, the, the brand you mentioned before, is, is coming from Chambéry. That those are the guys who invented the, the Chambéry style um, all those years ago. But I mean, the, the main French style is the dry style. Uh, so Noé Prade, but also, of course, uh, Dolan also makes a dry uh, style of vermouth. And, and the irony was that uh, the, the the French never drank this on its own. Like really, really straight. It's it, they don't really drink it in cocktails, uh, but but when it was big, when Noé Prat was really something that you would drink and order in 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 cafes and in brasserie, uh, you'd order it with with a, with a bit of uh, syrup, uh, maybe gum syrup, maybe lemon syrup, or liqueur uh, like a cassis liqueur, for example. And you put a bit of that, uh, a lot of vermouth, and then you top it off with uh, spark, sparkling water. And that is the way it's always been consumed. And that's one of the big difference between traditional vermouth consumption in Italy and in France. In, in Italy, they drink it straight uh, uh, over ice uh, with soda sometime. Uh, in France, they'll always mix it with uh, a touch of a sweet product. Uh, that's the big difference. But uh, this has been gone for a long, 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 long time. And now, as you know, Forrest, you, you being based in France and having, been, having lived uh, there for so long, uh, when we're talking about aperitif culture in France, people would, would have rosé wine and they would have pastis. Um, they're not going to have uh, vermouth and much less uh, dry uh, vermouth. So, so that, that, that tradition of, of the, that side of the uh, French aperitif of, of having dry vermouth with liquor or syrups and, and, and sparkling water uh, disappeared uh, almost a century ago, uh, which is a shame because it's a beautiful way of enjoying those, those products. Uh, but th that's the sad reality of it. Uh, people people forget that. But in, you know, in the sixties, uh, together with pastis and beer, the most popular aperitif in France was whiskey soda. Um, so this 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 is like what we're fighting against when we are trying to uh, defend or or put forward the the the, the, the French aperitif tradition uh, from a century ago uh, ago. 
So, I mean, I, I absolutely agree with you. I, you know, nobody's drinking vermouth, which is a shame. Uh, I hope to see it kind of uh, take on take on a new life in France. But so I wonder what what kept the French vermouth, um, what kept it going since I don't see people um, necessarily drinking it in that sort of traditional way. You know, for so many years, people weren't really using it in cocktails in France. I mean, you know, not as we are now sort of with this cocktail renaissance. So uh, what were people doing with it? Okay, so there are there are two aspects to, to consider here. First is, and I agree with you, you never see anyone drinking vermouth in France, but if you actually look at the numbers, uh, it's an important vermouth country, so a lot of people are drinking it, you just don't see them drinking it, which has always been fascinating with me. It's it's a bit like to to, to step out of the vermouth world, you know, Suze, the, the gentian liquor. Exactly, yeah. Uh, they have in very important numbers in France. You never see anyone drink it. You know, it's just now you see them in cocktail bars, but 10 years ago, you'd never see anyone have Suze. But still, it you know, someone was drinking it somewhere, and that's a big mystery. Uh, the other aspect is that, especially Noi Prat, Noi Prat, the original dry vermouth, is a gastronomical vermouth. It's used, it's been used in traditional French cooking for decades, and that is still very important. I, I cook a lot with, uh, with, with that particular vermouth, and that helped, that helped the brand go on. And the last aspect, I, I, meant, I said there are two aspects to consider, there are actually three, I usually make that mistake. <laughs> the third one is, is the export market. The export market has been uh, extremely important, um, which is what, you know, Noé Pratt, they have a rouge, a, a red vermouth too, right. and for example, that one was introduced, that one was introduced in, in, uh, at, the, uh, at the request of, of, of the uh, U.S. Uh, the US um, importer. Uh, the U.S. importer uh, said, all right, with the dry, we, uh, we have the dry mountain market. We need, a, we need a red for the Manhattan market. And that's why. Uh, and, and if you look at, at, at other uh, French aromatized wine, not necessarily vermouth, but for example, let uh, they've also introduced new formulas or new style of, of, of their product because uh, they needed them for export markets and that's that I think underlines when you're ready to to make such changes to your product uh, because uh, an importer asks you to that because you that's because you need that you know money money stream uh, to make it yeah, that doesn't surprise me, and it's true. I do have um, friends in the U.S. who talk about you know coming to France and having a having a lilette, and you know, in my mind, I think uh, you'd be hard pressed to maybe find that in your corner cafe or see people drinking it. But again, you see it being produced. I see it on the shelves, and they have been coming out with new references. So, um, so yeah, it's just very interesting to me. But I'm sure there's lots of marketing and business things behind it all that you know that kind of make some of those decisions um so and if i can if i can just cut in there for us you have, we have to re remember and we have to, to remind you know, uh, people listening that uh, france is a specialist in terms uh, as a country in terms of producing luxury brands that are not consumed in france i mean just look at cognac i think two to three percent of the cognac the cognac produced everywhere everywhere is consumed in france the rest goes goes abroad yeah, I think that's actually, that's a, a really great point. Um, lots of these things. I mean, I think that lots of champagne is exported. I know for mm -hmm. a fact lots of cognac. So interesting. Um, 
Well, do you, do you have any other thoughts on sort of now, like current day, how people are, are consuming vermouth? You know, obviously it's, it's popping up in cocktail bars more now, um, you know, domestically here and internationally. Um, any other kind of thoughts on the current or future trends of how we will be drinking French vermouth? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, cocktails remain very, very important, although, you know, uh, uh, as you as you perfectly know, the the cocktail niche on many markets, obviously not in the U.S., but you know even even in France where there is a big cocktail train, it's actually a small niche. You're not making a lot of volume with it. Uh, so, so 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 for all the brands right now, the focus is on trying and open up uh, uh, the market and try and make sure that their products are being consumed uh, in different settings and different circumstances. And you would not be surprised if I tell you that most of those brands are now trying to position themselves on the spritz segment, which is drinking outside in the afternoon, you know, dreaming that you're uh, on the Mediterranean coast. Um, it's difficult with dry French vermouth because you, there is a lack of sugar into it. But if we are moving into, for example, uh, well, Lillette is not a vermouth, but that style of product or... Or, or Dolin, the, the Blanc, the, the historical reference they have in their portfolio, which is the white, uh, the sweet white one. Those products can be used in, in spritz-like serves. And I mean, if you're adding other liqueurs and sugar, uh, even a dry vermouth can be used in a spritz-style uh, drink. And so that's that's where all the, the efforts are, are being focused at the moment, is trying to convince people to drop Aperol and, and move into uh, the vermouth world. It's easier to say than to do it. It's easier to come up with the idea uh, in the marketing departments of big uh, spirits groups. It's much more difficult to convince people to actually uh, swap uh, one ingredient for the other. But that's that's going to be really where the battle is, especially because we're seeing now that uh, well, first, there is a trend towards lower alcohol drinks. And also, we're seeing in a lot of Western countries, at least, that um, the night trade, and I'm not saying this for the pandemic, because this this was coming before that, but the night trade uh, is is diminishing. The, the, the share of, of, of night sales for spirits is, is going down, and the day sales are going up. Um, which is a problem uh, for vermouth because it's linked to cocktails, and cocktails are mostly cons consumed in the evening or at night. And and so uh, a lot of the focus will be on trying to develop a sort of day drinking uh, culture in which obviously you're more likely to drink something vermouth based uh, than an old fashioned. Yeah, I mean, I think that's interesting for uh, the for marketing towards the daytime. If there could be sort of a shift towards a, a spritz, and I'm not against that. I like a spritz. I like something that's a little tall, like you know, um, not so strong, and it is nice for the day. So, um, yeah, well, I mean, but also it takes a lot of marketing behind that. Aperol spritz didn't just pop up, and one day mm. everybody loved it. You know, it followed the all of the branding that was going to the bars and things like that. So, I mean, I think that mm. there would have to be a lot of work behind it um, to, uh, I don't know. Well, I guess either there would have to be a lot of work from one brand behind it or some sort of a collective uh, attempt on the part of the vermouth companies together, you know, some sort of a um, collective attempt to kind of, I guess, push that idea uh, into the minds of the public, the drinking public, sort of a vermouth spritz. But 
but I'm, I'm, I like the idea of a vermouth spritz. So hopefully mm. we'll see it more. Yeah. I mean, I, I, maybe I sounded a bit negative saying, all right, it's going to, it's a, it's a tough order. It's difficult to, to reach that, that goal. Uh, because what we're seeing is that vermouth as a category is growing tremendously. We're talking about uh, 5% growth year on year globally, uh, which not many categories can say that, you know, can say right now. It's uh, so the future is bright. Let's let's keep it at that. <laughs> okay. I like that. That sounds positive. I mean, I, you know, we never know, but I, I like the thinking positive. Um, this is going really fast. And I am kind of at the end, almost at the end of our time. So, is there something else that you feel important to add? Ooh, again, there's so, so many things that we could share. I, I think uh, we spend a lot of time on, 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 on driver moves and, and uh, I think it's interesting to to, to look at, at the Chambéry uh, brand you mentioned before, the the, the Dolan, because uh, uh, that third style, you know, because our, our, of course Dolan is really well known for their dry in the US at the moment and everyone knows red Vermouth, but the, the the style we always forget is that sweet, uh, sweet white. What they call the Italians call bianco, uh, what the French call blanc, uh, or, or what uh, people who don't speak French would call blanc. Um, uh, that style of vermouth for me is really interesting. It's 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 got lots of potential. It's really nice, fresh, so you can have something very light with it. But it also works very well with with a lot of different spirits. I like how it works with. Uh, with, for example, tequila or or cachaça or, or or agricole rum, all those all those spirits that really don't really work that well with with dry or, or sweet red, work really well with with bianco. And I th- the, I think a, a nice bianco, nice bianco blanc, whatever you want to call them, um, there are not so many around. There are, uh, you know, there are not that many brands who are doing it really well. But when it's done really well, I think it's got loads of potential. And I'd encourage everyone to have always a bottle in the fridge to play around with. I think that's very good advice. And also you make a good point right there. I think a lot of people listening to me, they are big cocktail drinkers. So they probably realize this. But um, those of you, just in case you don't, public service announcement, you should keep your vermouth in the in the fridge. It keeps it fresher. Don't just let it languish on the bar and stay warm and kind of go off. So... Exactly. Um, That's yeah. 75%, 75% wine in a, in a bottle of vermouth, so you, you really need to take care of it. Or you need to drink it very fast. <laughs> yep. Also, that, that works as well if you don't have refrigerator space. So I know a lot of my listeners in, in, in Paris have very tiny fridges. So yeah. We, yeah, you know what they're doing more? I think in the U.S. I've seen some of the um, half bottles coming out, which I think is a great idea. I don't understand why they're not doing that more. Um for the smaller, like, a, you know, I don't know, 350 ml or something. But anyway, all right, I, I'm moving into new territory and we have to get to the cocktails. So um, would you like to share a cocktail of the month with the listeners? Yes. Uh, what, what I brought with me today is is what today would be considered a cocktail, but historically wasn't. It was just a mixed drink that you would find in a French cafe. Uh, in Paris or basically anywhere, uh, I've mentioned it before. It's the vermouth cassis, which is for me uh, a beautiful, beautiful aperitivo style of of, of of vermouth service. It's very, very easy to make because you don't need a shaker, you don't need a mixing glass. Uh, what you need is three ingredients, sparkling water or, or soda if you want, but sparkling water would be really nice, a bit of creme de cassis and a bit of dry vermouth. 
preferably a French brand. So we'd go with Noy Pratt or Doline or, or um, La Cantini, for example, to name a new one, or Routin, you know, there's a few, there are a few of them around. Uh, and that would be uh, about half an ounce of creme de cassis, uh, three ounces of dry vermouth, which is one of the reasons why I like this recipe, because you can spend a lot of dry vermouth in one go, which you don't do with dry martini. Uh, you mix those two ingredients, fill the glass, which, you know, whatever glass you have, whatever, not, not a tall highball glass, more of a water glass or something like that. You fill it with ice and you fill it with uh, sparkling water, uh, a twist of lemon, and you're ready to go. This is especially nice if the weather is nice outside and uh, because it's light in alcohol, it's extremely sessionable. If you want it a bit sweeter, a bit more cassis, then you just bump up the uh, creme de cassis three quarter of an ounce, or uh, you take it, you know, a notch down if you want it less sweet. But for me, half an ounce is really where the sweet spot is. I am really glad that you brought that cocktail up uh, or that drink up. And it's something that I actually, you know, I spend a lot of time reading through old cocktail books, um, old French cocktail books. And it's something that, you know, you see regularly from, you know, decades ago, this um, vermouth cassis. And uh, and I love the idea for of it for summer. And um, um, you've inspired me. I'll be drinking. I'll be drinking more of those in the near future. Mm-hmm. So for the listeners that would like to catch up with you online, can you tell people where they might find you online or on Instagram or elsewhere? Yeah, I'm I'm on Instagram, Instagram and, and on Twitter. But on Twitter, I'm mostly in Spanish. So Instagram is where you'll find me uh, showing off my drinking. Uh, um, my it's my name Francois Monti. Uh, that's it. That's uh, that's the idea. Uh, I'm also I also have the uh, I'm about to launch. Well, when when your listeners listen to us, maybe it will be launched. But I'm about to launch a newsletter focused on aperitivo. It's going to be called aperitivo.substack.com, and so hopefully uh, you'll all find a lot of interesting information uh, above and beyond what we've discussed today. That is excellent. I am super excited about that. And uh, I really like, I like the aperitivo. I like the aperitif. I like the whole art of the apero. So um, anytime I can dive a little bit deeper or get inspired, I am excited. So I will be checking that out when it comes out. And uh, I will put this stuff in the show notes as well. So listeners can take a look in the show notes if they didn't get a chance to note it down from our chats. And with that, I'm going to wrap up. So thank you very much, Francois, for coming and joining us today. Excellent for us. I enjoyed it tremendously. The time flew by and uh, I was delighted to have that chat with you. (laughs) It did fly by. Now I'm so sad that I have to say it's a wrap for this month's episode. So um, I just want to say thanks again to the listeners out there for tuning in or downloading. Thank you to World Radio Paris for editing and production. Thank you to Sun Little for the music that we use. And uh, as usual, I do remind you to drink responsibly. And if you like what we're doing, pop over to iTunes and leave us a review. Until next time, cheers. In the river, darling,